Welcome to the Masterful Coach Podcast with Molly Claire. If you're a coach who's ready to impact more lives, make more money, and create a life you love, you're in exactly the right place. Get the support you deserve as a female entrepreneur, master your coaching skills, grow your ideal business, and to honor your priorities in your personal life. Are you in? Let's get started with your host, best-selling author and master life and business coach, Molly Claire. Hey coach, today's episode is very different than what you are used to hearing on the podcast, but this is a topic that is important to address and bring up to the forefront of conversations. I'm interviewing Carla Hernandez and her husband, Gerald Erickson, as they share a little about their cause, Vivo Alliance. Carla was the victim of a violent sexual assault a few years ago, and it was incredibly disheartening, to say the least, as they realized how powerless they were to actually advocate for change and to get justice in this situation. Uh, Carla and Gerald have been living in Puerto Rico for the last five years, which is where Carla is originally from. And so they are really moving this cause forward as this is a big widespread problem in Puerto Rico. There are so many victims of all ages, of all genders, and they are really standing up to make a change. I wanted to interview them for a few reasons. First and foremost, as you will hear on this episode, Carla is such a great example of a woman who is so brave, so courageous, and so determined to make a change in the world. She is speaking up and she is speaking out and creating a space where other women can do the same. She is just such an example of championing change. And I just, I love everything about her soul. Her husband, Gerald, happens to be my cousin. We grew up together. I babysat him so much. And um, it's just a really great connection. I'm so happy to be connected with both of them and so honored to be able to support this really important cause. So this is a bit more serious topic, but I encourage you to listen, tune in, hear about their experience. And my hope is that you will be inspired to continue to move for positive change in the world and to speak up and to speak out around things that matter to you. All right, coach, let's go ahead and dive in. Okay, Carla and Gerald, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. We're very happy to be here with you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. I'm so excited about the cause that you've gotten behind that you're moving forward and just you sharing your personal experience. So those of you listening, you're in the coaching world, right? You're building your business and all of you really have a mission to help people improve their lives. And I think that it goes without saying that usually the clients we're working with have had things in their life, pretty significant things that have held them back. And so that's why I felt like just your story and the more women that can hear your story and can understand that there's healing mm -hmm. and possibility, the better. So mm -hmm. I'm excited to have you share. Okay. So Carla, tell us a little bit about what happened to you that really started you, you know, moving this movement, this cause forward. Yeah, so it's a very long story, but I'm going to tell it to you in a little bit of a nutshell. 
So in December of 2020, we were doing, they call it internal tourism, kind of, uh, we live in Puerto Rico. We've been living there for the past five years and we love going to different parts of the island. And there was one of the incidents where I was walking in the beach and I got surprised, attacked and sexually assaulted by a strange man. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was uh, an aspect of what happened to me. But then after that, the whole criminal process from when you file a police report to dealing with the justice system, just all of those things, roadblock after roadblock. And that kind of led us down the path of understanding that there's a big problem a problem that um, is kind of, I mean, people can see it, but nobody's really talking about it. Mm -hmm. And more than that is not being addressed because it's it's kind of an issue that, first of all, is very taboo. Mm -hmm. But second, it requires uh, understanding, a lot of understanding. Yeah. Yeah. So there's almost like, as you're talking, there, there's so much to it, but there's, this piece of what happened to you personally and how that must have impacted you just to have that experience of being attacked and assaulted. And then it's like part two is trying to get some justice, right? And, and correct that and ensure it doesn't happen to, to other women. And I would imagine there's a lot of pain and healing in both of those areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I know these are such personal questions, but I know you also are, you're here because you're willing to speak out, right? How did this impact you personally, having experienced this just really unexpectedly? So a situation like that, an incident like that completely distorts your concept of reality. Hmm. It's obviously a little bit hard to put into words, but the concept you had about yourself and about daily life and existence in general, going all the way to questioning God, you know, everything, you know, everything is uh, completely, completely distorted. So that's from the standpoint of the incident itself. Yeah. Yeah. But then you have the other element, which was that you're willing to do everything possible to get justice for that. And not getting it kind of leaves you in a state of feeling like you're frozen in time. Yeah. Which is, it's kind of almost like you never, never get closure. Mm -hmm. So the trauma, the pain, the suffering is something that that kind of never ends because you live with it daily and mm-hmm. then you end up becoming familiar with it and and just understanding how to basically navigate through life, just having all of those all of those feelings and learning to know who you are moving forward and rediscovering life as if you're a child. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I mean, I would imagine I haven't experienced that exactly, but 
Yeah, I would. I know for me, when I have experienced challenging things that have really made me question myself and everything, that you kind of have to set up a new foundation almost, right? Of Mm -hmm. who am I and finding a new new inner strength. And that's kind of what I'm hearing you describe a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And Gerald, I, I can't imagine what this was like for you to know that this happened. And I, what was it like for you? Well, obviously it wasn't like being a victim, but it's really interesting to just have to sort of, I mean, in the beginning, just deal with the shock and like the secondary trauma, I guess, of knowing that the person you care the most about had that happen to him. Yeah. But I don't know. I feel like with the secondary stuff, with the justice system failing us and just being you as a husband and as a man, like you want to do everything in your power to like bring whoever it is to justice or find them. I obviously you want to like kill the person. I'm not, I would never do that, but it's like, those are your thoughts, you know, it's like, Oh yeah, I'm sure. And then you just rely on these people, assuming from my standpoint, you know, I know things are never perfect, but I came from the U.S. and I'm like, oh, okay, well, the police will probably take care of it, you know? Right. Justice will be done. There's no way something like this can happen and it can just be okay. When it was such a clear cut case, you know, it's like, yeah. So anyways, for me, having to see and kind of be on the side and just wait and watch as this thing just slowly deteriorated and didn't come to fruition. It was like, I don't know. That's one of the, that's probably the hardest thing I've ever experienced and almost drove me insane, but it's, it's brought us closer together. That's for sure. Yeah. I would imagine. I mean, I'd imagine both of you have felt quite a sense of powerlessness as you've been trying to make this better and make it right and get justice. And Oh yeah. 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 And I I would just say also, like, you kind of had to face that, that moment where it was like, oh, man, this is either gonna, like, destroy us, or we have to just, you know, sink or swim. And I feel like I'm grateful that we have done our best to swim. It's still we're still swimming. But it's like, yeah, that those these things, I don't know how people get through them. It's crazy. Yeah. And sometimes it's like, it's like just maybe staying afloat sometime, right? Like yeah, maybe it yeah. doesn't feel like we're quite swimming, but at least like it's true, right? When you experience things that are that hard and it feels like you're barely getting through it. It's I know that feeling of how do people really get through this? Cause it's I just I yeah. can't imagine. And so I'd love to know as you did move forward from, you know, this horrific incident. What problems specifically did you see that needed to change, you know, that have really called you to to come forward and try to make changes? Yes. So the whole issue of gender based violence and sexual assault, as I mentioned before, is a very difficult problem to address and understand, not only because it's taboo, but because it's a multidimensional problem. But based on our personal experience, what resonated with us the most was the lack of a voice or the lack of a legitimate voice that victims have Mm. in their criminal cases 
towards their asylums and the lack of transparency and accountability within the justice system that leaves enough room for cases like mine to be mismanaged and handled in an unethical manner. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine that it's been easy to step forward and speak up about it, but I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's not easy staying silent either. Right. So, Mm. I mean, Mm. tell me about that sort of the choice that you have made that you've both made to speak up and, and move your cause forward to make things better. It's a a very interesting question you're asking. So when I first publicly told my story, it was under inconvenient circumstances. We were not backing down in wanting to move our case forward and wanting to get justice. They couldn't get rid of us. And it got to the point where we started feeling threatened by the people that were managing our case. And my response to that was to publicly tell my story and talk about what was going on so that people knew what was happening and it wouldn't stay behind closed doors and we could shine a light on a on, on a topic that most people are not really talking about. I mean, because one thing is to just speak and tell your story as to getting assaulted itself, but then speaking about how your case is being mismanaged and how you're being treated. So that led us to basically telling our story publicly. Yeah, I mean, and it's, it really is such a courageous thing I mean, it really is, you know, and when you were talking and saying we just like they couldn't get rid of us, we're not just going to stay silent. And I don't know, just good for you. And I think it's just I think it's a reminder that we're all capable of doing that right somewhere inside. Mm -hmm. We are capable of speaking up and standing up for something that needs to be changed and standing up for ourselves, you standing up for yourself. Mm-hmm. and making a difference. Yeah. So tell us more about your organization. Exactly. What is it and how can other people get involved? Yeah, it's basically just stems from all of that. It's we're trying to I mean, obviously we're trying to support victims and we are doing that in whatever way we can, but as she mentioned, our main focus is around this whole idea of lacking victims rights. So We've come to realize that, you know, cases like hers aren't, they're, they're the norm. Like you don't often see, like from all the people we've talked to in, in the island, it's really, really common to find people that say, oh yeah, I've, I've, my daughter or my friend or somebody was sexually assaulted. We had this happen, that happen. We went to the police. We did everything we could, but it's just the systemic issue lies that we've found in the lack of victims rights people don't have the ability to really have a say in their case or follow up with it the the justice system just does what they want based on the the current laws and they can kind of keep you behind closed doors 
And it just leads to a lot of mismanagement, a lot of unethical behavior, a lot of just, yeah, basically everything we've talked about, but in many different ways. So our purpose right now is to just try to get a more firm grasp on what we can do about that by researching the laws, by researching statistics in the other states and in other countries to see if there's ways that we can kind of put together a new sort of, you know, take from everything that works and see how we can build something new in Puerto Rico. Yeah. And I'd be curious to know, as you were talking about all of this, it's, I'd imagine at times it's felt like a pretty big undertaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yes. But uh, when you asked me the question about why I told my story, the result after that was that we had a great number of people reach out to us to to tell us how they've gone through the same thing and how they never got justice. Women, men, mothers and fathers with children. So this is something that from that standpoint, we've gotten a lot of support from people that want this to happen. They want to understand what laws and and uh, what laws and policies need to change based on what's going on and what's working in other states and other countries and how we can implement them in Puerto Rico. So that's kind of what we're tackling. There is a lot of support for victims rehabilitation right now. We are right now under a state, well, we were under a state of emergency that was called or declared by the Puerto Rico current governor to address gender-based violence. So it's more of a lack of understanding of people not knowing what to do with this issue, which is why if we want to address something, we need to first understand it. And that's kind of our approach. And that's where we're coming from. And surprisingly, it's not just women you know it's men it's mothers it's fathers it's just people in the government in general that that want somebody to basically take this approach that we need to know what's going on Yeah. yeah i would just add that so the way i kind of think about it is when you deal with the the prevention aspect you could see it as like a burning house right like people want to figure out how to prevent fires they want to figure out how to deal with it afterwards, how to put it out and how to clean it up. But it, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of focus on the actual like burning aspect of the house. Like, I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, before that's sort of been our, our observation, at yeah. least through our experience, it's just a lot of emphasis on prevention and a lot of emphasis on how to help victims afterwards. But in the process of actually trying to get your case handled in a simple manner, it's just kind of being ignored. Yeah, that's the problem or the the issue that is not being addressed, how all those cases are being managed and and handled, as opposed to the, like Gerald says, the burning house. Let's figure out how to prevent the fire from happening, which is a big, big problem that may take multiple generations to to address in in my opinion and also victim rehabilitations which means how to clean the ashes appropriately once the house burned down but in the meantime there's this big 
black hole that people are just not even taking into consideration. Yeah, and I not think. to mention that oh, I sorry. would think that black hole is is a part of prevention and recovery after, right? I mean, that's the yeah. thing is they're not without impact on one another because right. I would imagine if cases are handled better, that's going to impact the prevention. And if exactly. cases are handled better, I would imagine that's going to give victims, oh, yeah. a, a, I mean, so much in terms of being able to recover and heal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think, in my opinion, a lot of it, also, I'm not trying to throw all the blame on the government, even though there is a huge aspect there that we're trying to deal with. I think a lot of it comes from the fact that it's so hard to tell your story. It's so hard to like muster the courage to even like go to the police. Sometimes. File a police report. So therefore, you know, people do that. And then society. Stop you for a minute. And yeah. tell me, tell me more about exactly the reasons why, because there could be a lot of reasons why, right? Why is it hard to tell the story because of the shame and it's taboo or because of pushback fear? Tell me a little more about that. So when it comes to, like Jadal mentioned, something as simple as filing a police report, telling your friends, family, community what happened to you, it it takes a lot of courage because obviously, you know, this is a, a, a shameful thing it's it's a very very taboo topic um, it shouldn't be but that's how it, it is feels. yes so then there are a lot of people that want justice and that are willing to do that and then it's basically for nothing i would say it stems from what you just said molly where it's like in in the island at least people are aware of how negligent the justice system is so it's like they already there's the societal aspect where they feel held back because of shame or judgment or all of that but they also know that that's how things are likely that they're not going to get justice so there's multiple layers yeah the collective attitude is what's the point there's nothing that can be done about it and then that becomes a virus that leaks into into everything yeah. You know, it leaks into the into the communities. It leaks into families. You know, I so many. I've had so many people share their stories with me as to like not even getting support from their families and and wanting to get justice. But it's because everybody knows that the likelihood of something happening from that is is very slim. So then you're basically left. I mean, I would feel like the the best way to describe you're left naked in a stage and nothing happens. Right. Yeah. So it people just say, and, okay, what's what's the point? I'll just try to do everything possible to to hide what happened to me or to just forget about it. And then that, like I said, it's a virus. Then it leaks into the the support, all of the the support and the nonprofits and everything that exists that focuses on the aspect of victim rehabilitation, where it's more, oh, how can I just move on despite this happening? How can I move on even though I didn't got justice? And and I would say that I was a victim of that in terms that I wanted justice. I wanted to do everything possible for my case to to move forward. I had luckily a wonderful husband that was validating that I wasn't crazy. 
And then the mm -hmm. the she even got discouraged by the local nonprofits sometimes. Yeah, and it was like, okay, your like, your case is never gonna go to court. You need to just work on how to move on with your life. You know, let let us help you move on with your life and do other things that are not related to your case and and getting justice. Let's just forget about that. Yeah. You're talking, and I know, Gerald, and you were saying something else too. I want to hear what else you were going to say when I when I cut in with this question. But as you're talking, it just, it's like having this happen to you, I would imagine like beyond a powerless feeling, right? Violating all of those things. And then to feel so powerless in your ability to do anything about it. And so it makes sense if if women are feeling powerless to do anything about it in the justice system that they wouldn't want to speak up? Why would you want to make yourself vulnerable and, and really move that forward if it's just going to reinforce this idea that, you know, you don't really have any rights. What happened to you really doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so one thing I've observed is, so for example, Carla, I feel like she's kind of an anomaly. I feel like... <laughs> In the beginning, I was very like, I, I mean, I've always been about this, you know, I've always been supportive, but I've questioned it. I'm like, man, are, how far are we going to go with this? You know, like, what do we got to do? Like, every step has kind of been a roadblock, but she wanted to just boom, boom, keep, keep going. And I'm like, all right, I guess we're going to keep going. We even tried to sue the government. Like, that didn't go through because we didn't have a lawyer that would take our case. Yeah, but, they were all... To, I mean, we had a uh, fairly legitimate case. But anyways, what I'm trying to say is if someone is willing to do all that, but still come up against the brick wall, it's pretty crazy, the situation. So I also noticed that it sort of creates this dynamic of either sort of people feeling so helpless that they either get radical and sort of turn to like the crazy protest side which is okay, but it doesn't really accomplish anything at the end. And it sort of creates the division or they sort of stay quiet and just sil uh, silently suffer. So that's where we're trying to sort of bridge that gap and just be like, this is something that affects everybody. We don't need to go, you know, far extreme. And I mean, we can protest obviously, but it's like, let's try to take this legitimately step by step and see how we can deconstruct it. But, yeah. yeah, and let's go from the standpoint that nobody wants this to happen, not yeah. even the government, not even the the police, not even the Justice Department. It's just such a uncomfortable and complicated issue that, first of all, yeah, I mean, people don't think about it, not because they don't want to, but because they don't know well, what to do about yeah. it. It's like any really sort of nuanced i mean obviously there's some pretty basic aspects to this but it's like anything that actually once you dive deeper it is complicated people tend to just sort of tap out you know because it's it's hard like it's not an easy thing to address but we're not pretending like we have the answer but we're just saying like this is an aspect of it that hasn't really been addressed and we really want to try to so yeah i just carla i I'm sure you hear this a lot and you probably should hear it even more, but you really are so courageous and just, <sighs> it's amazing to hear this and know everything that you're up against 
and you keep going. And I would love to know what you've seen as you've stood up and shared your story, how you've seen that impact other women, because I'm sure that it has even right now as you're speaking, right? Mm -hmm. Well, when, like I mentioned before, when I decided to go public with my story, we did not know what that was going to lead us to. And the outcome was the great number of people that reach out to me and reach out to us to tell us that they've gone through the same thing and they really want change. They really want even just something as simple as them telling me their story. I could feel how I was becoming a vehicle of healing to to others and how through them telling their story in of itself was enough for them to to get to embark on that healing process. That's amazing. Just to think about that, just speaking up, just them hearing this from you was able to help them move forward. And also understand that not all is lost, even even if for some people it's taken years for yes. them to to just feel like there's something that can be done. You know, yeah. there there's still hope. Not all is lost. You yeah. know, it just takes a little bit of uh, determination and and not giving up. And and it's it's been very interested how I've seen people that are broken, that are sad, that are depressed, and all of a sudden just gra- grasping or grabbing on to that little bit of hope is enough for them to become allies and, and for them to say, we can play a part in making a change. And that in of itself is like, okay, well, the system fails, everything fails, everybody in my life fell me, but you developed your own hope. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Okay. Well, you're amazing. I so appreciate you being here. In a minute, I want you to tell people how they can support your cause. But first, I would love for you to to share, Carla, if anyone that's listening to this, that's experienced anything similar to this, what would you say to them? I would say that you should never feel obligated to tell your story. But if you do, your story matters. And my story is not enough. You know, if we want to change, if we want this to change, it takes a lot of people who have gone through the same thing, mm. affirming that there's a problem that, that needs to be addressed. And in doing so, we have your back. We are here for you and you are not alone. And you've had a lot of women reach out to you just to share their story with you. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay, so another question I have for you, and then after that, I'll have you share anything else that you guys would like. But Carla and Gerald, or Gerald, whoever wants to answer this, what would you say to someone who has felt called to a cause but been really fearful about stepping up? So I can talk, from personal experience and you can take it how you will. There are times when it's a lot easier to let go, not look back and forget. But to me, 
and to us personally that is not living a dignified and blessed life in our case was feeling that this is not just my story this is the story of of many people and the fact that even if we feel like we're not doing a lot and we're not making a lot of progress just putting your grain of salt into the world can be enough for you to make a difference. And that would be my advice to take that into consideration that sometimes we think that even what we're doing is small and it could be insignificant. It's still something and it will resonate with the people that need to listen to your message and that need your support. Mm, I love it. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much. All right. Anything else that you would want to share and also make sure to tell everyone where they can support your cause and help donate and move this, move all of this important work forward? Yeah. So basically just uh, you can go to our website, VivoAlliance.org. We have a pretty uh, in-depth breakdown of what we're trying to do. And we also have a crowdfunding campaign we're doing. Um, We can, I don't know if we would post the link here or how we would do that, but yeah, we can share yeah, that. Link. It'll be, it should be in the show notes. So go to the show notes yeah. and you can find it there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's pretty much it right now. We have our Instagram page. Um, that's where you can see a little bit about what we've done so far, but yeah, mostly just our website. That's kind of got our, our plan, our outlook of what we're trying to do and you can donate there. And then also the crowdfunding page. This is amazing. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Carla, for being willing to share your story and Gerald for being such a great husband. I like want to take a little bit of credit since I helped babysit you so much when you were little. But I don't know if I can, (laughs) but you guys are amazing. And I just really appreciate you sharing your story. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Masterful Coach Podcast. Are you ready to build your amazing business with Molly as your coach? Check out www.mollyclaire.com to find out about Masterful Coach Foundations and the 10K Accelerator Method. It's the ultimate support for you as a coach building your ideal life and business.